Alright, we're in Acts chapter 1 tonight. I want you to notice verse 6. It says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? The disciples, they've been watching John Hagee on you know, TV, and he was preaching about Bible prophecy and saying, Keep your eyes on Israel. And you know, God's going to do great things for Israel. And so obviously some big things that happened with Jesus. And so the disciples thought, well, man, maybe this is it. Uh, maybe this is time God's going to do something with Israel. And so they asked him about this and uh, if, they were, if they were going to restore the kingdom. It's obviously we're all interested in future prophecy. And they asked this question based on their understanding of things that were still to come concerning the second coming of Christ. Now, they're thinking in their mind all these things are going to happen at the first coming. There's a lot of things that uh, people were looking for in Christ's first coming that we know now aren't going to happen until the second coming. And so, obviously, they were confused on a lot of these things. But, you know, this is a legitimate question. You know, they're looking for, there's something they're expecting. And so they ask a legitimate question. But then he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And this is where we get the Great Commission. And we know Jesus gave this right before his ascension, said when he had spoken these things, and while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight, and while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So here in the beginning of the book of Acts, we see the ascension of Christ into heaven, which would have been an amazing thing to behold, especially during that time, you know, and, but at the same time too, a sad time for these people, probably a very confusing time in many ways for these people, especially for the disciples, because they've been following Christ for three years. He dies. He rises again three days later. He spends another 40 days with them. But, and now all of a sudden he's standing there in front of them and he just ascends into heaven. I mean, now, I don't know about you, I see something like that, I'm probably going to be staring into the sky a little bit. And, uh, you know, so they're there, they're standing there, staring into the sky, and all of a sudden, there's two angels there who ask a question, why stand ye gazing into the heaven? Now, it's my opinion, they're doing this because Jesus has just given them the Great Commission, you know, but they're, they're just standing there. Staring into heaven. It's like he's just told them to go do something. And what are they doing? They're standing there staring at heaven. Now, I'm willing to give him a pass on that. I'm willing to say, you know what? I don't blame him for doing that for a little bit. What did they say? The same Jesus which is taken from you will so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus is going to come back bodily just like he left. Bodily. And they did. They watched it. They beheld it. And so, uh, while they're probably stunned... While they're probably sad because Jesus is gone, you know, I can understand them gazing. I have no problem with that. But I, the angels, it's like, you know what? I don't know what you're staring at. I don't know why you stand gazing into heaven. He's going to come back. 
And it's almost like it's their way of saying, all right, now you've got something to do. You've got a job to do. Get busy. Go do it. And what I want to do, I want to use this story to illustrate something that can happen and some things that, you know, that, that has happened in many churches and the lives of many Christians. Now, this is actually a sermon I'm re-preaching, one that I preached back at 06. And um, I was wanting to preach on this subject. I remember preaching on it in 06, and I went back and I was trying to find my notes, and I couldn't find the notes, but I actually found an audio file where I was preaching. I was listening like the first 10 minutes, and I was on there, and I kind of started talking about the rapture and how I believe Jesus could come at any time. I believe the rapture is imminent. There's no prophecies left to be fulfilled, and I'm just like quoting all the textbook talking points. A little embarrassing, but uh, I, I was there at one time. And that's just a reminder for everybody, too. Don't go throwing pre-tribbers into hell, okay? You know, they're good people. They're sincere. They love the Lord. They just, you know, haven't been taught all the things that we've been blessed to learn on these things yet. So just keep that in mind. But um, I do, uh, I do want to basically preach that same message because... Uh, the basic premise of that message is very true and something that we need to be reminded of. And, I, and I, I want to use this story to just kind of illustrate something because the story or, or the subject of the second coming of Christ, I mean, it, it is one of the more interesting studies in the Bible because, you know, we all like prophecy. But this is prophecy that we could potentially see for ourselves. So, you know, when, and it's, it's always interesting reading Bible stories. But when we're reading Bible stories about things in the future, it's even more interesting because we could be the characters in those stories. So obviously, Christians have always been and always will be interested in the subject of the second coming of Christ. And uh, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. But, you know, at the same time, you know, when it comes to this too, you know, a sermon on the rapture, it's always going to get you know, more attention, it's going to get more views, books. Did you know that books on the second coming of Christ are going to, they're going to, you're going to sell a lot more of those than you do books on holy living? I mean, if I do a series on holy living, you know, none of you would roll your eyes, but in your mind you would roll your eyes. Like, oh, you know, holy living. But I said, we're going to Bible, Bible prophecy, you know. Then, you know, you'd be all over that. You know, if we had a, a holy living conference, nobody wants to come to that. But if it's about Bible prophecy, then we're, then we're all over it. You know, let's get on board with that. But listen, if we're not careful, we can actually allow the promise of Christ's coming to get us distracted from what we've actually been called to do. Okay? And I'm not calling for people to stop, to stop looking for Jesus. In fact, what I want to do tonight, I'm calling on you to look for the coming of Christ, to look for Jesus to come but there's a right way to do it. There is a right way to look for his coming, and there is a wrong way to look for his coming. And many times we get these things wrong. And so what are these right ways and what are the wrong ways that we can watch for his coming? So uh, because unfortunately, when we actually study the Bible and what it says about looking for the coming of Christ, typically we'll find out that's not what we're doing at all. And listen, there is absolutely nothing wrong with studying end times, trying to map things out, trying to chart things out, trying to figure out where you stand on things. There's nothing wrong with listening to preaching on it. You know, there's nothing. I mean, I said, I, you know, I love that stuff. There's nothing wrong with getting all caught up in Daniel 9, fulfilled or unfulfilled. And we can argue about that kind of stuff. And it, I'm right. 
But at the end of the day, you know, we can we can let some of those things kind of get us distracted. You know, and we often say, well, we're just doing this looking for the coming of Christ. But in reality, sometimes we're actually not we're still not looking for Christ the way we're supposed to. So let me show you as we go through some scriptures on this subject. Now go to Mark chapter 13. So the way we're supposed to watch for his coming is by watching is by diligently working, not gazing. Okay. Now, and here's the way I want to illustrate that too, because, and and I'm just using this as an illustration, right? I'm not making a doctrine out of Acts chapter one, but in Acts one, Jesus has just given the great commission. In Acts 1-2, we also see Israel, or the, uh, the disciples, wondering when the kingdom is going to be restored to Israel, wondering about future things. Jesus has just given them a present command. We see an angel who's very used to obeying and doing what, exactly what they're told to do, wondering why these people are standing there looking for Jesus to come. You know, they could have said, well, he's listening to John Hagee, and he said, be watching the skies, you know. But, you know, but he said, no. They've been given something to do. They needed to be focused on that. And so in the Bible, we often see when it's talking about the coming of Christ and being ready for it, it's emphasizing us doing the work that we've been called to do. And you know what? We can spend all kinds of time mapping out Revelation, figuring out Daniel and all these prophecies. But let me tell you something. If we are not focusing more on the work that we've been called to do, you know what? We're gazing rather than actually working and, and watching like we've been commanded to do. Look what it says in Mark 13, 32. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. And, and here's the question. Why is it so important that we know the time? You know, why is it so important that we be aware of these things? And it's because... We don't want him coming back and us not and us be sleeping, us not be ready, meaning us not doing the work we've been called to do. He says, for the son of man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Now, the porter's job in this parable was to be watching for the master. Okay? That was his job, to literally watch for him. Now, what is our job as Christians? Yes, we're supposed to watch, but how do we watch? Is it us gazing up at the sky? Is it us watching news about Israel? Is, is it us going to prophecy conferences? Or... Is it us doing the work that we've been called to do? And the thing is, you know what? If we're not careful, we can get so caught up in prophecy and prophecy conferences and Israel news and all that kind of stuff. You know, what? if those things get a sidetrack from soul winning, he's going to come back and we're going to be too busy. He's going to catch us gazing rather than working. And when Jesus comes back, the way we watch for him is we do. We follow the instructions that he gave before he left. Here in this story, he commanded the porter to watch. And, but what did, what did Jesus command us to do? He commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so that's how we watch is by being ready. And by being ready, it doesn't mean we've got ourselves in this frame of mind that's just right. 
that I knew he was coming today. No, it's that we were doing exactly what we were supposed to be doing. When he came back, he caught us doing exactly what we were supposed to be doing. Just like at your job. You've all probably been there before when your boss walked in and you were not doing what he was paying you to do. That's not a good feeling. But you know, you don't feel bad at all when he walks in and you are busy doing the work, following the rules, doing the things that you're supposed to do. That's not a bad feeling at all. You were ready for him. You know why? Because you were doing what you were being paid to do. And as Christians, the way we watch for him, we're supposed to be preparing people for the kingdom of God. And Matthew 3, 1 says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in Acts 19 and verse 4, says, Then said Paul, John verily baptized you with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. So understand that that gospel of the kingdom, that preaching the kingdom of God, that is trying the way that is us telling people the gospel, trying to get people saved. That is how we prepare the kingdom. That is how we get people ready. We're out there recruiting. We're winning souls. And just like John was preparing Israel to receive the Messiah. Okay? John was preparing a people to receive the Messiah when he came for his kingdom. Did you know we're doing the same thing right now? We are preparing people to receive Christ. So when he comes in his kingdom, they will be ready. So they will go to heaven. So they will be a part of that kingdom. And so if you're saved, Christ is going to take you to heaven. Okay, That's a fact. But will he find you working or sleeping? And you know what? I think there's going to be a lot of people. God's going to be disappointed with them when he returns. And these people, man, they were focused on the coming of Christ. They watched every YouTube video that there was about the second coming. I mean, they got their eschatology right. They even went post-trib. But you know what? They weren't soul winning when Jesus came back. They were not actively involved in reaching people for Christ. You know what? They weren't ready. They, they weren't ready. Listen, one of these days, Robert Breaker, he just did a 2022. Is the rapture going to come in 2022? He does it every year and does all these things to make it fit that year. And he gets it wrong every year. But listen, one of these years, he's going to get it right. You know, if he lives long enough, he's not going to go up. But, you know, he's going to get he's going, he's going to get it right. But, folks, you know, that's not watching what he's doing. Okay? That, that is not watching. You, you know, did you know that there's people out there? They are so pre-trib, it's not even funny. But they are faithful soul winners. And you know what? They're more ready than a lot of us probably are. Because when Jesus comes back, you know what he's going to find them doing? Exactly what he told them to do. He's going to find them faithfully serving him. Uh, but they didn't get their eschatology right. But they, they watched. They were ready. They were working. They were serving. They were winning souls. And you know what? That's what we need to be focused on. That is how we watch. We, as, as a Christian, your attitude ought to be right now. You ought to, if you can't say, I'm ready for Jesus to come back right now, then you're not right with God. If you knew he was going to come back in a month, what would you do to change yourself, prepare yourself? Whatever that is, you should be doing that right now. And 
I, I guarantee you, I wouldn't be taking a vacation from soul winning, you know, a month before Jesus comes back. So, you know, what we should probably do just not take vacations from that because we want to be, we want to be ready. We're watching. So turn over to first John two. So another way we watch for his coming rather than gazing. And again, you can get so caught up in Bible prophecy stuff and be doing none of these things. And if you're doing none of these things, you're out of line. Your priorities are wrong. And who cares what you know about Bible prophecy? But 1 John 2.28 says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And, and then in chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath in this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Right here in First John, we see that it's possible for us to be ashamed at his coming. And then in chapter 3, it goes on to show that when he appears, we're going to be like him. But everyone who has that hope. Okay, those who have the hope of being like Christ someday, you know what they do? They purify themselves even as he is pure. They're trying to become like him. And you know what it doesn't say, those who have the hope that he's coming back? You know, that they're checking the Bible every day to make sure their, you know, timelines are right. Okay, I think it's great if we get our timeline right. But it's more important that we're purifying ourselves. And if you're not doing something to clean sin out of your life and to become more Christ-like, you know what? You're not watching for his coming. You're not ready for his coming, and you're going to be ashamed at his coming. And you can get so busy just gazing, and that's what you're doing when you're watching all the prophecy videos. You know, you're, you're, just, you're, you're gazing. And I don't think it's wrong to gaze. But it is wrong if that's got you so distracted that you're not doing the things that you were actually told to do and to go and to purify yourself. And just like I said before, I'll sell more books on prophecy than I will on holy living. Because people, they're not as interested in that. But yet, when it comes to Bible prophecy, when it comes to the second coming of Christ, it is so much more important that we know about holy living than it is that we got our timeline, we got all the stuff figured out, that we've got everything right between the church and Israel and all that stuff. We've got all those things figured out. It's so much more important that we have holy living in our lives. And there's going to be some people out there, they got some dispensationalism in them. They, you know, they're, probably a little, they're probably a little more fond of the Jews than they should be. But you know what? They're godly people. And they're going to be more ready than us who we don't think too highly of Israel. And believe we're the chosen people, and yet we're going to let that grandma who probably donated to Israel one time, who was a godly lady, who was always witnessing to people, and she's going to do better than us on Judgment Day. Because we were too busy gazing instead of doing the working and doing the things that we were actually commanded and told to do. And so... The way we do this, the way we sanctify ourselves, the way we become a clean vessel, which is what we're supposed to be doing, we're purifying ourselves, is we let grace, we allow grace to teach us how to live. Okay? We don't use grace as an excuse to be a liberal and as an excuse to be lascivious. Titus 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation 
hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify on himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Now, folks, I've read so many things with people getting all detailed and just going deep into the scriptures to prove that the blessed hope and the glorious appearing are two different things. And you know what? We could fight about that all day long, and I'll win that argument too. Blessed hope and the glorious appearing are the same events. Okay? They're the coming of Jesus Christ. But you know what? We can argue about that all day long, about the blessed hope and the glorious appearing. But did you know the context of this entire passage, what it was talking about before that verse, what it was talking about after that verse, was us purifying ourselves, about us denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, living soberly, righteously, godly in this present world, looking for. See, and that's why we are trying to live soberly, righteously, and godly. Because we are looking for Jesus to come. Now, if you're looking for Jesus to come, and it's not causing you to live soberly, righteously, and godly, then why are you doing it? Are you just, are you just looking? Are you just learning about eschatology so you can go and get in fights with people online about who's right? So you can go debunk all the pre-trippers Facebook posts and things that they do? So you can go put them in their place on Twitter and stuff like that? Is that why you're studying these things? Because I'm glad you're studying these things. It's not wrong. It's beneficial. But if it never causes you to work on godliness in your life, then you're missing the point. Because think about it. So much prophecy time has been focused on this one verse on the blessed hope all right the blessed hope i mean people love to talk about the blessed hope but when we talk about the subject of the blessed hope you know what go listen to probably 99 percent of messages that have the title blessed hope in it and see if it even talks about godly living in there it's all about the rapture it's all about jesus coming back and get me from all my problems well why don't you right now be working on getting victory over your problems through the help of the Holy Spirit. Because that's actually how we watch for him. That's how we're, we're trying to get ourselves ready. We're trying to uh, you know, apprehend that for which we are apprehended in Jesus Christ. Like the Apostle Paul. He's like, I, I want to achieve these things. I want to accomplish something. And so what people need to understand about grace is that grace you know, is meaningless if we don't... if, if we don't show what sin is and the consequences of it. You know, and if sin is no big deal, then why is grace a big deal? And that's why here in, in Titus 2, it says that it's the grace of God that brings salvation. It teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. It teaches us those things. And then Paul ended that by saying, you know what? These things rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. There were people back then that did not like preaching on holy living. They had, they, there's always been trendies, ladies and gentlemen. They just looked a little different. You know, what did they look like back then? Whatever the hipster style was of that time. That's what they looked like. That's how they preached. And you know what? They didn't like this kind of preaching, but we do it anyway because it's a truth. 
And so the way that we, the way that we prep for Christ's coming is living righteously. That's the, way we, that's the way we get ready for it. That is the best thing you could do to prepare yourself is just living righteously. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So notice what God wants is God wants us in our hearts to be unblameable in holiness when he returns. He didn't want he didn't say unreprovable in your eschatology. You know, and there's going to be some people, they might be right on the money when it comes to these things. But if they are not living godly lives, if they are not uh, unblameable in holiness for God, then they're not ready. They're not watching. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. And I said, and a lot of these people, they do. They feel like there's such an authority on these things, you know, because I know so much about this. Well, surely if anybody's ready for the coming of Christ, I am. I've written several books on eschatology. You know, I've done this. I've accomplished that. I've done, if you're not godly. You're not ready. And so you, that's what we need to be focused on. And again, this is just one more passage about the return of Christ. What's it focusing on? Holy living. Godly living. And so the, another way we can be watching correctly for Christ's return is taking our walk with God serious. We see in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also ye do. So here he's telling them, you need to watch and be sober. Don't sleep. Okay? Falling asleep is not you missing, you know, so much the prophecy series, but it's you missing the holiness series. And so you're supposed to be watching and be sober. Okay? You're not supposed to be like that person who's drunken, who's drunken in the night, in the dark, when they don't think anybody can see him. No, we ought to be living our life like it's today, like the light is on us, like Jesus Christ is just about to step in and, and appear before us. That's how we're supposed to be living our life. And so, um, you know, we, the Bible tells us that should cause us to be sober. And we, you know, we're going to stand before God one day. And did you know what? That should strike fear in our hearts. We should be a lot more worried about our walk with God and the condition it is in than our position on eschatology. And I think position is important because, you know, I, and we talk a lot about these things because, you know, getting doctrine right affects a lot of things. But you know what else affects a lot of things? Being wicked. You know, and be, being holy affects a lot of things in a good way. We can't leave these things out. We can't throw these things out. Second Corinthians 5.10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. So, we're going to stand before God. And that's terrifying. And that's why it says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So, how, how do I know, you know if, I, if I'm ready? Well, I mean, I guess there's, there's kind of a couple ways you can look at this. Okay? First off, if you're not afraid of standing before God, it's either because you're super, super spiritual and you know it, or you're super, super cocky and you don't know how sorry you are. <laughs> and so, you know, when it, so when it comes to me, I'm not looking to get comfortable with the idea of standing before Christ. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to let it cause me to be scared. You know why? You know, and so what, ultimately what, I, what I'm doing is I'm being sober about it. I'm taking it serious. This is a big deal. Even if I'm feeling really good about myself right now, because you know what? I found out about another scandal of another pastor, and man, that's one more that fell before me. I must be doing pretty good. Uh, you know, no, that that right, I, that could be me, be me, just being cocky and arrogant. I don't want to stand before the Lord with a cocky, arrogant attitude. So the thing is, we all should be afraid of this. And the thing is, and if we will let it sober us like it's supposed to then it's going to cause us to clean things up in our life. And again, a lot of the, the passages about the return of Christ, that some of them are meant to comfort us in our tribulation and in our suffering. Jesus is coming back. We have those passages too, but it seems to me there's a lot more showing that Jesus is coming back. You get your act together. That seems like that's supposed to be the primary motivation of these things. Often we get comforted in the idea of Christ's return when we've got junk going on like we see going on in the world today. And that's not wrong. You know, that, that's not wrong. But, you know, let me ask you this. Are, are you motivated right now, you know, and wanting Jesus to come back more or feel more ready because you're just sick of this world or because you're right with God and, you know, you're living a life in a way you would want him to find you? You know why? You know why most people want Jesus to come back? Because they're just tired of this world. They're tired of all their defeats. They're tired of all their problems. They're tired of people. They're tired of paying bills. They're tired of going to work. They're tired of their families. You know, they're praying that the the rapture will come and hurry up and glorify their wife so she won't drive them crazy anymore. Uh, you know, things like that. You know, you, you know, not, not me. Other people out there. Nobody here. People from other churches. But you know, they're out. There. But that that's their attitude. I just wish Jesus would come. So, you know, because my life is a mess. And, but it's like, is that how you want him to find you? Because, yes, those verses are in the scriptures, but there's a lot more showing God wants us to be ready at his return. And, and I don't think us being, you know, laying down on the ground, figuratively speaking, in a fetal position, that's not how I want him to find me. And that's how a lot of Christians act. And I have gone to church with these people for years of my life, that, I mean, that is, that is their spiritual position. Laying on the ground, and it's like the devil's just kicking them all the time. You know what? I might be getting beat up 
when Jesus returns, but I hope I'm doing some swinging too. I hope I'm not just laying there getting stomped on. I hope I'm fighting. You know, I hope I'm doing some damage to the other side in the meantime. And, you know, and that's how I want to be watching for him. Not there, not lying on the ground begging for mercy, but, you know, kicking and swinging and fighting and doing everything I can and hoping I can get one more blow in before he comes back. That's how I want to go. And that, that needs to be our attitude. But sadly, sadly, many people today are preparing them more for the Antichrist than they are Jesus Christ. You know, but here, you know, and, and, and what I mean by that is they're trying to prep themselves to be strong enough, you know, to, you know, uh, to say no to the market. You know, that's, that's, that's why I'm going to say no to these masks. Because if I say yes to the mask, I might say yes to the mark. No, I, I'm not mad, mad at you for that. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. But you know what will prepare you to do for the Antichrist more than anything? Is to prepare yourself to meet Jesus Christ. And see, when we do, when we're trying to build our character and build our strength to face the Antichrist, we've got our focus in the wrong place. Our focus should be on Jesus Christ because he should actually, you know, strike more fear in our hearts than the Antichrist. In Revelation 12, 10, it says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused him before God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Notice who still gets the credit for us defeating the Antichrist. It's the blood of the Lamb. So, you know, when it comes to me having the strength to do whatever I need to do and face the Antichrist, the most important thing I need is Jesus. I, I need Jesus more than anything else. And so having a healthy fear of the Antichrist, it makes perfect sense, but it's kind of irrelevant when we compare his power to the power of Jesus Christ. Because we did just read here in Revelation 12 that the guy who's messing with us is going to be utterly defeated by Jesus Christ. So if we're prepared to meet Jesus in a way that he wants to find us, I can promise you we're ready for the Antichrist. If you're ready for Jesus, you're ready for the Antichrist. And you know what? That's why we've been impressed with a lot of the pre-tribbers and how they've handled things in the last couple of years with all the nonsense going on in the world. You know why? Because while they might be off in their eschatology, they're ready to meet Jesus Christ. They've got their hearts right. They're godly people. They love the Lord. They're saved. And so you know what they did whenever they were faced with opposition and, and pushed to compromise and things? They did the right thing. Because they're ready for the Antichrist, even though they're not looking for him at all. They don't think they're ever going to see him. But let me tell you, if even if you're a pre-tribber, if you have prepared yourself to meet Jesus Christ, the Antichrist is nothing. He'll, he, he's absolutely nothing. You're ready for Christ. You're definitely ready for the Antichrist. Matthew 10, 28 says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And guess what? That's not the devil. That's not the Antichrist. He can't do that. Jesus can. So what gets us prepared for these things is Jesus Christ. He's the focus of these things. So 
And, and I'm not against, look, I'm not against somebody preaching about what is to come for when it comes to the tribulation, when it comes to the Antichrist. It's not wrong for somebody to get up and to say, you know what, if you can't handle these things now, you're definitely not going to be able to handle the Antichrist. You know, if the footmen have weary thee, what are you going to do with the horses? You know, th- th- those things aren't wrong. They're, these are all just kind of ways that we check ourselves to see if we're ready, to see if we're strong. What do we need to do to strengthen ourselves? So somebody is not wrong in doing that, but so, it's so much better. It's so much more accurate. It's so much more effective. It's so much more biblical that if I want to try to prepare people for whatever may come is to say, are you ready to face Jesus Christ? Are you ready to stand before Jesus Christ? Are, are you ready to meet him today? And if you're ready for him spiritually, you're ready for anything else that can come. So we can keep our focus on Jesus Christ and it will be effective. So the last way that we watch is we should be watching with a hopeful in victorious anticipation instead of a defeatist survivalist attitude. Which again, what I was talking about with laying there in the fetal position. That's how many people are going to be when Jesus Christ returns. But 1 Corinthians 1 verse 4 says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so notice how he said, he's talking about the grace of God that's given to him, that in everything being enriched by him, and all knowledge and utterance, we're supposed to be claiming these things of Christ And folks, we're supposed to be victorious. When Jesus Christ comes, he expects us to be victorious. Even if we are being killed, we are victorious because there's more important things in this life than just this physical life. We see in the book of Hebrews, and we know this, that there were those who they suffered death, not accepting deliverance. Why? So they could obtain a better resurrection. So understand, us being defeated physically is not a loss. It's not a loss at all. And our victory, it's a spiritual victory. And we should be able to be like our forefathers who died singing the praises of God. Like the Apostle Paul and Silas who were in prison singing praises to God. Victorious. Even while earthly speaking... You could say they were in defeat. They still had a victorious attitude. And let me tell you something. If you're having problems in your flesh, get victory now. And I get it. You're going to get a glorified body when Jesus returns. And he will give you victory. But you know what? Spiritually, God wants us to be getting some victory today. Did you know that you know, when we get the victory today, even while still in this sinful flesh, folks, those are the things we're going to get rewarded for. Those are the things that show that we actually believe God, that we actually trust the things that he says, that if he's done these things for me spiritually, you know what? I can do something about it while here in this earth. I can change my life. I can get my act together. You know, if you're struggling with peace, with joy, get victory now. Now's the time to do it. 
so many people. I just, you know, I, I just can't wait till I'm heaven, in heaven because then I'll be happy. Then I won't have any more tears. And you know what? I feel the same way sometimes too. But you know what? Isn't it more impressive if we can find joy and happiness in the midst of all this? That's, that's what shows we have faith. Did you know that you're not going to get rewarded for singing praises and being joyful in heaven? You know, you're not going to get rewards for that. But if you are singing and rejoicing and being thankful and praising God while you're in a situation like Job, like we talked about this morning, there are going to be rewards for that. So, you know, now's the time. This is the opportunity to be happy. We're all, we're all going to be happy over there. And like the song says, everybody will be happy over there. But you know what? Not everybody's happy over here, but we should be. And it can be done. The Apostle Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul's the one that said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And he said that from prison, by the way. So now is the time. And when we're doing these things, okay, folks, us doing those things, Rejoicing in tribulation, being faithful, serving, winning souls, living godly lives, being holy. These are the things that we have been commanded to do And uh, when it comes to looking for the coming of Christ. That is how we look for the coming of Christ. It is not keeping up with the news in Israel. It is not reading your Bible prophecy books. And those things are not wrong and can have a benefit but those are not the biblical prescription that they gave for looking for the coming of Christ. And so, ultimately the point I want to get across in this message is the way we should be looking for the coming of Christ, it's not so much about our eschatology being 100%, keeping up to date on world news, but it's about doing the work we were called to do 2,000 years ago. It's, and when Christ returns, I want him to find me ob- either obedient or finished or, you know, or in the process of working on what he has given me to do. That's what I, I don't think that we'll ever finish completely, but I, we definitely ought to be in that process. I want him to catch me laboring. I want him to catch me working and being faithful and... You say, well, we're post-trib, so we can wait until the tribulation starts. No, no, that, that's not how that works. And you, we, we're supposed to be looking now. The command is to look now. The same commands that we have been given, uh, that, you know, that were given back then are what we're under right now. They were told to be watching back then. And, and the way we watch is by doing all these things we talked about. And so, I hope, uh, I hope you all will keep studying Bible prophecy. I hope you all will keep learning things. But you know what? I think it would be awesome if all of us were to the point in our life where we studied more on holy living and being righteous than we did eschatology. And if, if, we did, if we did more of that, I wonder how much that would help us in everything. I, I know one thing, it will help us be ready at Christ, at Christ's return, and that's what I want. So I hope that this was a help. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your word and for the promise of your return. There's a lot of junk in this world that we got to deal with, and sometimes we are just looking for the escape hatch, but I pray, Lord, you'll help us to be victorious, help us to not have a defeatist attitude, but a victorious attitude and spirit, and you'll help us, Lord, that 
to keep searching, to keep on trying to learn about your coming and the things to come, but help us to be more focused on holy living and righteousness. And I pray you'll give us victory there. In your name we pray. Amen.